0: podcast public service announcement you're about to hear an episode in the middle of a multi-part show arc if you haven't heard the previous episodes we suggest you skip back to part one of this topic in the feed and listen in order all right paranoid strain orchestra hit it Now, hopefully, we all understand the contemporary political situation that led to the Templars' downfall. But what accounts for their incredible afterlife as the objects of obsessive interest by conspiracy theorists? We asked Dr. Spence what he made of this question.
1: So why is everybody so obsessed with the Knights Templar? You know, why do they seem to get worked into everything? I mean, well, you know, from being the, uh, somehow the origins of Freemasonry, or one of the possible origins of, of Freemasonry, to having supposedly buried a huge treasure in Nova Scotia. One of the things you can say about the Knights Templars is that there certainly was a conspiracy involved in the dissolution of the order, and the conspiracy was against them. You have the vacuum effect in these stories, which means there's not a lot really to go on, and therefore you can create different narratives. The Templar story is the the fall of this once great, powerful, rich, and respected order. There's a sort of morality tale, you know, that they rose to high. Hubris eventually uh, brought them down. The order may be numbered at most about 10,000 of all different groups in the, in the early 1300s. And it wasn't just composed of knights. The knights proper, the monastic warrior monks were maybe 10% of that. The organization is largely intact. A relative handful of people are actually put to death. And Philip never actually gets his hands on the money. Now, was there a Templar treasure or was there not a Templar treasure? I don't know. And neither does anybody else, for sure. The assumption is is that they had great wealth at one time, that they must therefore have had some. And if it doesn't pass into Philip's hands or the Pope's or someone else's, then what became of it? So you've got this vacuum. There's something that just sort of disappears and can't be explained, and then what people will do, what their minds will work overtime doing, is coming up explanations that will explain that vacuum, because we don't like them. We like the story to be complete. There could have been some vast Templar treasure that's still out there somewhere, so where could it be? Here you've got a monastic order, a fairly sophisticated machine that had functioned for a couple of centuries and had done quite well. So what's going to happen to it when it is outlawed? Not everywhere, by the way. In places like Portugal, the Templars were never outlawed. They just went on about their business. What about in countries even like France where it was banned? Well, you still had this whole organization. Most of the people who are in it is still there. They may even have much of their money. Does everybody just go, oh, well, I guess the jig's up. I guess I'll go somewhere else. Or... Does some portion of that organization preserve itself? Now, if you look at other examples, you tend to find that groups finding themselves in that situation, that usually some portion of them will seek to reorganize. So
0: the head of the group was eliminated and the Templars were disbanded in France. But what happened everywhere else? Well, it depends where you're talking about. As Dr. Spence noted, in Portugal, essentially nothing happened to the Templars. This in spite of the fact that when he orchestrated his mass arrest, Philip actually hoped to crush them, not just in France, but internationally. So he sent these accusations out far and wide to other rulers of Europe, many of whom saw clearly the political and financial motivations behind the arrests and show trials and didn't do much in response.
2: This was especially true in places like England, Scotland and Italy.
0: But ironically, Pope Clement's eventual involvement in the case and his attempts to wrest control over the Templars and their eventual fate from Philip made it religiously necessary that even these rulers eventually at least make token arrests of the Templars and their kingdoms. And when the Pope felt he had to dissolve the order, also as a result of these political power plays, that meant the order was at least nominally eliminated across Europe.
2: Though again, there were exceptions.
0: But however the various Templar groups in different nations ended up, the group was already legendary in their own time. As we discussed before, they were the inspiration for the noble knights we read about in such important texts of the period as Percival, the story of the Grail. Dan Jones discusses the popularity of the Templars in the literature of their
3: era. Even in their own day, the Templars were of vastly more interest to writers of fiction than the Hospitallers and Teutonic order. The Templars' rivals long outlasted them in both their martial and pastoral roles, but they have left nothing like the same impression in the popular imagination. No one, either in the Middle Ages or today, has seemed very interested in epic poetry, still less Hollywood movies, about the Teutonic Order or the Sword Brothers of Livonia. Only the Templars can really be said to have passed from the realm of reality into mythology and staked a place in the popular imagination. To be fair, the Templars were different from the other major international military orders. Uniquely, from the beginning they were knights who took up a religious calling, rather than servants of a hospital that added a paramilitary wing. This gave them a certain quality that was useful for medieval romance. They corresponded exactly to the archetype of the truly chivalrous men, violent but chaste, tough but pure of heart, merciless but godly. They were the ideal that all knights in Arthurian legend strove toward.
2: These early romances that cast the Templars in their stories were also the first connections between the Templars and the then newly created idea of the Holy Grail, which we'll be coming back to when we discuss the Cathars shortly.
0: But of course, we're not as interested in the incorporation of an idealized version of the Knights into the literature of their period as we are in the reasons why centuries of conspiracists have latched onto the story of the Knights with relentless ardor. And we know exactly where the conspiracy theories kick off, at the very site of de Molay's immolation.
4: Les Templiers étaient des guerriers saints formés au Temple à Jérusalem en 1919 pour protéger les pèlerins dans les états français. Dans leur fenêtre blanche avec des croix rouges, ils ont beauté les fesses des hérétiques, sont devenus incroyablement riches, ont inventé la chevalerie et la banque internationale moderne. Après la bataille d'Acre et la perte de la Terre Sainte, de Molay a été lu 23ème.
0: That rather over-the-top rendering of Demolay's death comes to us from a video game in the Assassin's Creed franchise, a long-running and very popular series in which the assassins are the good guys, and the Templars are the evil, manipulative power brokers, working behind the scenes to increase their secret control over the world's people.
2: This is not in any way a historical version of the Templars, but we should at least thank heaven that the games maker Ubisoft chose a disbanded order of medieval knights as a conspiring manipulative force in their games instead of the standard conspiracist stand-in for oppression and evil,
0: the Jews. Stabby video game series aside, we included this rendition of de Molay's final words because his dying curse on the king and the pope has been a popular legend for hundreds of years now, though many contemporary, even first-hand accounts of the event, insisted the knight died in stoic silence. But the reason the curse allegation is so popular is that, in fact, the king and the pope were both dead within a year of Damolet meeting his fate.
2: Whether those deaths came after the curse, or the rumor of the curse came after the deaths is unclear. But we lean toward option two.
0: The pope had suffered from ill health for a while, so his death wasn't exactly surprising. But Philip was in excellent health, which he proved by going on a hunting trip, where he suffered a massive cerebral hemorrhage and croaked at the ripe old age of 46.
2: I get it. French king. Frog. Hilarious.
0: The legend of de Molay's curse, at least in one probably apocryphal story, would haunt the French monarchy for hundreds of years, culminating in this version quoted from Foucault's Pendulum.
2: One part of the legend insists that when Louis XVI was guillotined, an unknown man climbed onto the block and shouted, "Track de Molay, you are avenged.
0: So we know the story of the Templars was still a going concern even in the late 18th century but how did they go from being a controversial religious and military order to the master manipulators they play in so many conspiracy theories? Jones notes that most of this crankery is along the lines of what Dr. Spence has hipped us to previously. Essentially, it's based on incredulity.
3: Over the past 200 years, the Templars have also provided rich material for cranks, conspiracy theorists, and fantasists there is a thriving industry in what-if history about the Templars, much of it resting on the false supposition that an order so wealthy and powerful could not simply have been rolled up and dissolved. But certainly, there
0: have been those whose thoughts on the Templars have been particularly impactful in moving the order to the top of the conspiracist hit parade. For example, Hogg points out that in the 16th century, scholar Henry Cornelius Agrippa wrote a highly influential and wildly popular book called De Occulta Philosophia Libri
2: i.e. the three books of occult philosophy.
0: The purpose of this book was to distinguish the good kinds of magic,
2: alchemy and such, that is, the kind of magic that a good Christian humanist of the Renaissance might want to pursue to the greater glory of God,
0: and the horrors of demonic black magic.
2: That is definitely spelled with a K at the end for extra evil points.
0: What's important for us here is the groups Agrippa included among those guilty of performing the bad
5: stuff. It is well known that evil demons can be attracted by bad and profane arts, in the manner in which Psellus relates that the Gnostic magicians used to practice, who used to carry out disgusting and foul abominations, like those formerly used in the rites of Priapus, and in the service of the idol called Panor, to whom people used to sacrifice with their private parts bared. Nor were they much different, if what we read is truth and not fantasy, from the detestable heresy of the Templars and similar things are known about the witches and their senile craziness in wandering into offences of this sort. By placing the Templars alongside witches as his two examples of perverted Christian magicians, Agrippa thrust the order into the phantasmagoria of occult forces which were the subject of persecuting craze, for which the Malleus Maleficarum was a handbook. Suddenly the Templars were raised from the depths of half-forgotten failures, and became the focus of the darkest disturbing forces in the European mind. Its victims or its masters. In this way, the Templars entered the Renaissance and were to advance into the Age of Enlightenment."
0: This book's popularity brought the Templars back from temporary obscurity to widespread infamy. Another element of the story that has fed the fever dreams of conspiracists is the fact that, apparently, Philip IV never found the kind of treasure that he was really looking for after he raided the Templars' coffers. This, of course, leads to two kinds of speculation. Either the Templars themselves were not as wealthy as they had been assumed, or somehow the Templars' gold was secretly spirited away and hidden somewhere else. Mainstream historians try to consider this question on its merits. But where's the fun in that for pseudo-historian conspiracists? Trying to figure out how the Templars might have mismanaged and misspent their wealth? Or in analyzing whether or not their wealth was ever as great as everyone had supposed at the time?
6: Boring!
0: Right. So instead, the conspiracy theorists jump right on option two and start spinning various hypotheses, some reasonable, some less so, for the travels and eventual resting place of this presumably immense and definitely elusive treasure.
2: So where do they say it went?
0: One popular option is Scotland. The fictional narrator in Foucault's Pendulum synopsizes this idea.
2: There's a legend that says that two days before Philip issued the arrest warrant, an ox-drawn left the enclave of the temple in Paris for an unknown destination. They say that hidden in the wane was a group of knights led by one Umon. These knights supposedly escaped, took refuge in Scotland, and joined a Masonic lodge in Kilwinning. According to the legend, they became part of the Society of Freemasons, who served as guardians of the secrets of the Temple of Solomon.
0: There are some genuine historical reasons why the Templars, had they been given the option, might have wanted to flee to Scotland. As we noted earlier, it was one of the places that was least hospitable to Philip's imperious demands that the Templars be arrested and prosecuted. But the main reason that theorists desperately want the heart of the Templar order to have reemerged in Scotland are A. To lend credence to the supposed connections between the Templars and the Freemasons, a group generally acknowledged to have had their start in Scotland, and B. To support their conjectures about Rosslyn Chapel, a church in Scotland. First, to the Masonic connection. As Dr. Spence already noted, there is indeed a link between the Masons and the Templars. Specifically, that link is the fact that so many Masons have asserted a link between the two groups. This in spite of a near-total lack of historical evidence. Here he sheds more light on the subject.
1: So you can't really prove that the Templars ever actually go out of business. Now that doesn't mean that a couple of hundred years down the road they re-emerge as the Freemasons for some reason, but it does explain why someone could make that argument. I really can't see much connection between the Templar order and later Freemasonry itself. I I don't know where the kind of intellectual inheritance is supposed to come in. Then you've got people who will argue, well, the reason we don't recognize this is because, you know, the Templars do all kinds of cool stuff that they dug up in the Temple Mount, you know, where the Ark of the Covenant was and, and everything else and the secrets of the universe were theirs. Without saying that there is no link between Freemasonry and the Knights Templars, It still remains one that you can't actually prove. The most interesting thing about it, though, is why, by the 18th century, do so many Freemasons in Europe believe that they are connected?
0: He has more to say about the Templars and Masons, but we're going to save that for our discussions of the Freemasons later on.
2: Moving on, what's the deal with Rosslyn Chapel?
7: It is from the influence of the Knights Templar that many believe masonry began to develop its modern philosophy. A philosophy literally carved in stone and found in one of the most intriguing monuments of the Western world. Just outside of Edinburgh, Scotland, is the Rosslyn Chapel. A place that may well provide a door to understanding masonry the Knights Templar and the ancient plan for America. It very conclusively demonstrates a profound relationship between uh, Scotland and the Templars and the Freemasons, uh, which is not really any big revelation. Um, but of course the whole idea is that, is that the three things go together. The chapel was built in the 15th century by William St. Clair. The tomb of his ancestor of the same name, and who died a century earlier, is found within. His name as it appears, William St. Clair, Knight Templar, is believed to be a link between the Templars and the Scottish Masons who built this mysterious chapel. The legacy of Rosslyn Chapel seems to be the very essence of the Templar belief
0: and that of secret societies everywhere. This chapel, which was built by a Freemason whose ancestor, entombed on site, was a Knight Templar, is supposedly the clinching proof that the still-active Templars were the animating force behind the rise and spread of Scottish Freemasonry and its creed of tolerance across Europe.
2: But I'm presuming it doesn't mean that?
0: Not really. I mean, it's possible the descendants of some of the Scottish Templars were involved in the very earliest stirrings of what would eventually become Freemasonry. But we're talking literally hundreds of years between the disappearance of one and the full flowering of the other, so we're probably not warranted in taking those leaps. And of course, just because a Templar is buried in a chapel doesn't mean that said chapel is inherently connected to the Templar order. As we walk through it, it's very probable that the Masons who built it had a field day.
7: Uh, They decided that they were going to combine all kinds of uh, mythological elements along with the Bible. So you have uh, Masonic elements in the chapel, you have some pagan elements, you have Christian elements, and they're all thrown together. Roslyn Chapel is probably one of the most extraordinary buildings in the world. Uh, It is like a Disneyland of Masonry and Rosicrucianism. I think
0: the, chap- the profusion of religious symbology and strange adornments in the church is, of course, catnip to those who would prefer to speculate wildly about the Templars, the Masons, or other conspiracy-friendly topics. But no matter how much people have squinted at these symbols, no one has ever managed to use them to find the hidden link between the Masons and the Templars, nor, for that matter, the supposed hoard of hidden Templar gold. <laughs>
4: Avec 16 navires, de à attaquer les villes côtières egyptiennes et, et syriennes. Malgré ces victoires, le maire roi Philippe IV de France, profondément endetté d'un Henri III, voulait prendre le commandement des différents ordres et devenir roi de La première étape du plan diabolique du roi Philippe a été de forcer le pape Clément V à déplacer la papauté à Poitiers, ce qu'il a fait.
2: if the treasure isn't in Scotland, where could it possibly be, eh?
0: Why Dana, I think your incredibly accurate accent gives it away. Another place where devotees of the Templar Mysteries believe the supposed treasure ended up is on Oak Island, Nova Scotia, Canada.
2: Oh yeah, closer? Oh,
3: yeah, indeed. Dan Jones introduces us to the idea. One of the supposed Templar survivalist bolt holes, Oak Island in Nova Scotia, has been put forward as a possible location for the Order's lost treasure. It has also been linked with evidence proving the true authorship of Shakespeare manuscripts, the location of Marie Antoinette's jewellery, and the hidden archives of a secret society of Rosicrucians led by Sir Francis Bacon. Needless to say, no Templar treasure has yet been discovered. As
0: you might expect, our first move upon learning the legends of the Templar treasure in the Great White North was to turn to our old standby, YouTube, to try to dig up some credulous videos made by yokels who had bought into this idea, hook, line, and sinker.
2: And certainly, he found some of that.
0: But then, something magical happened. You see, every so often in this, are we calling it a job? You stumble upon a project that you never knew existed, and yet, in spite of your ignorance, this project has labored for years creating a frankly astonishing amount of content for you to peruse when you finally discover it. Jesuit.
2: what the fuck are you talking about?
0: Dana, I give you the History Channel's The Curse of Oak Island. There is an island in the
7: North Atlantic where men have been looking for treasure for more than 200 years. So far, they have uncovered booby-trapped flood tunnels, carved stones with strange symbols, 17th century Spanish coins, and evidence of a wooden vault covered in concrete. Six men have even lost their lives trying to solve the mystery. And according to legend, one more will
0: have to die before the treasure can be found.
2: You're saying there's a whole documentary dedicated to this bullshit?
0: Fuck a documentary. This shit has been on for eight goddamn seasons. Did we watch the whole thing? Hell no. What part of the phrase eight seasons make you think we have time for that? But from our cursory review, it focuses on two treasure hunting brothers who are absolutely convinced, in spite of a distinct paucity of evidence and the fact that people have been looking for a treasure here unsuccessfully for several hundred years, that there's still a big old pile of gold buried somewhere on this unassuming island. And they're not just looking for Templar treasure either. They also think Captain Cook, among others, may have left their riches here. We did manage to find a clip specifically related to the Templars, and once again, the podcasting gods smiled upon us because not only were they seeking the knight's treasure in this episode, but they were joined by the Canadian patron saint of overacting and magnificent hairpieces.
7: Tell me what you found that's important enough to rewrite history. That? that. What? That? Yeah. That medieval cross. Give me the cross. This has been ascertained to have antiquity, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. 1,400, is that correct? Yep. Mm -hmm. This is around 600 years old. Well, it was mined 600 years ago. Where was it mined? South of France, best we know at this juncture. South of France? Yes. So that doesn't mean that this was here 600 years ago. No. It was in France 600 years ago and arrived here at an undetermined... Date. Of course. Correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, was this found underground? It's found in Smith's Gulf. There yeah. There's the man who phoned it. With your shovel, yeah. you were able to uh, uncover it.
0: Oh, That's my. right, bitches. Captain Kirk is helping these motherfuckers find the Templar gold.
2: Which gold, we should note, is still, as of this recording, apparently nonexistent.
0: Ah, uh, well. But the Templar influence in the modern world goes well beyond mere treasure hunting. For example, let's take, oh, say the Mexican drug war. Disturbing.
2: A drug cartel's first message, foreshadowing the violence to come. It says we killed him because he was a kidnapper, signed the Knights Templar. The drug gang gets his name from the Templar Order of the Middle Ages, a Christian military organization which protected Jerusalem. The modern-day version Templars have all the markings of a secret society and a dark track record. There's evidence of initiation rituals and blood pacts. Its hitmen have commandments like protect the community and keep all activities secret, or their families will be killed.
4: Their stronghold.
0: That's right. One of the violent narco gangs that have turned large parts of that country into a nightmarish shooting gallery named itself after the Knights Templar, trying to set themselves apart from the other gangs with a printed code of conduct that was supposed to ensure better behavior by the Templar gang's enforcers than was exemplified by rival groups.
2: For example, they abjured killing women and children. Supposedly. For a while.
0: Seem like super nice dudes. And the affectation of connection to the legendary Templars went beyond pseudo-chivalrous codes of conduct. Gang members spent money building statues depicting their leaders dressed up in full Templar armor, had full-sized replica swords forged, and invested in all kinds of other crusades-inspired bling. Their leader was eventually captured.
2: Mexican authorities have captured the country's most wanted drug lord, Servando Gomez, known as La Tuta, meaning the teacher. The 49 year old drug kingpin was a leader of the Knights Templar cartel operating out of one of the country's most dangerous states, Michoacan.
0: And the remaining commanders were killed back in 2017, so they're not still a going concern, but weird story, right? Unfortunately, the list of violent sociopaths who've glommed onto the Templar name in the modern era doesn't end with the narcos either. I'm sure you remember the horrific crimes of Anders Breivik, the Norwegian mass murderer who killed 90 innocent people when he set off a bomb and then gunned down teenagers and young adults for the crime of attending a left-wing summer camp. In his inevitable manifesto, and in his defense at trial, Breivik made frequent references to his work helping to found the modern-day resurgence of the Knights Templar, this version having been developed as a leaderless network of right-wing activists opposing the creeping Islamification of Europe, or some shit.
2: Didn't you say he shot a bunch of white nominally Christian Norwegian kids?
0: Yes, he did, and was super proud of himself for doing so.
2: But he did it to oppose Islam?
0: Yeah, I mean, the guy's a self-important, pig-ignorant, violent piece of shit who deserves to rot, and we hate even bringing up his name, but somehow he believed shooting the left-wingers would help the cause of getting Norwegians to oppose Islamic immigration? Or something? Look, in addition to his many other failures, he isn't much of a thinker. Regardless, Breivik's actions were so obviously horrendous that even other loons who claimed to be part of this international anti-Islam Knights Templar network were very eager to avoid being associated with him in any way.
6: He's the self-styled leader of the Knights Templar based on medieval Christian crusades to the Holy Land. He's a founding member of the Anti-Islamic English Defense League. Paul Ray's blog posts about the threat from Islamic fundamentalism have been highlighted as a possible inspiration for Anders Breivik's manifesto. It was published online to justify the killing of more than 70 people in Norway last month. Ray, an Englishman who now lives in Malta, says he finds it hard to see how his writings could be linked to the massacre.
5: If I had have influenced him, there is no way he would have gone out and killed nearly 100 innocent children. If I'd have influenced him, I could understand if he'd have targeted Muslim fundamentalists. I could understand that and I could make a parallel. Doesn't justify it, but I can understand it. But to have done what he did has no bearing on anything I ever say at all. Ray, who left
6: the UK 18 months ago to escape possible charges of stirring up racial hatred, says he rejected a Facebook request from Brevik because he didn't like the look of him. He says he has nothing to hide over his links to a mass killer. The police... Hello, I'm JT, a lifelong student of the paranormal and the unexplained. I've spent over 35 years researching and learning about a wide range of subjects, from UFOs and cryptids, to ghosts and the supernatural, from hidden and lost treasures, to mankind's mysterious past, and all other things mysterious and Fortean. Each week I'll bring you some relevant and interesting articles in this genre, as well as a different topic, some you may be familiar with, but many you most likely will never have known existed. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride. And let me be your tour guide as we explore the unexplained on the paranormal sun.